0: So, I was listening to Dave Ramsey one day, Uh, you might know who Dave Ramsey is, he's a guy who tells people about their finances. And he received the phone call one day and there was a guy who was talking to him and the guy was saying how he and his wife were trying to get out of debt and that uh, they just couldn't do it. It's like every time they would, you know, do one thing to get out of debt, something else would happen and then they'd do something else and they, they just found themselves in a situation where they just couldn't find a way out to get out of debt. And it occurred to me that sometimes, spiritually, that's how I feel. You know, it's like you, you want to do what's right, and then every once in a while, you, you find yourself in a good situation, and then all of a sudden, you're back where you don't want to be. And so, when I was listening to Dave, he, uh, he, gave a, he told a story about when he was young. And he told a story about a guy. He said when he was young, he was playing around. This was, I don't know when it was, but uh, he was playing, and there was this guy who just started running through his neighborhood. And he thought that was a really weird thing to do. And so the next day he was out playing and he saw the same guy running through the neighborhood. And this was the the time before jogging became popular. And he said it was so weird that he called all his friends out and was like, come on, let's look at this guy. And they all sat there and just watched this guy run through the neighborhood every single day. And then the parents got involved. And they're like, what is this? This is really weird. And he said finally, one of the adults got the nerve up to walk up to the guy and say, hey, you know, we're just wondering why why are you running? Why are you jogging? And the guy said, well, I went to the doctor. And the doctor told me I had to lose weight or I was gonna die. And so I decided that I'm going to run. And that guy didn't care what happened to him. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care if all the neighborhood was pointing at him and making fun of him or laughing at him. He had a reason why he felt he needed to run. He had a why. And I think sometimes when we find ourselves struggling spiritually, it's because our why isn't big enough. Because if we looked at our lives and said, I need to do what's right because if I don't, I will be lost. Then we will realize that our why is so big and those small things that seem to drag us down, that seem to keep us back, won't feel as important. So sometimes I forget my why. I forget my reason. Because I'm focusing on all the small things that are not important in life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read um, the first few verses. And in verse 7 through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is talking about God's commands. And you'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You should write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. And I look at these, two, these verses and I go, oh, you know what, I, I probably do some of these, but I don't do them all. I don't bind them as a frontlet to my eye. I don't write them on my doorstep in a figurative way. And I think this is why sometimes I forget my why because sometimes I lose focus on what's important I lose focus on how God said if you care about my commandments they need to be with you everywhere and in everything you do and I look at these verses and I go this is not all the things that I do so a long time ago I did a sermon and the sermon talked about some of the things we can physically do to remind ourselves of God each and every day and this is going to be somewhat of a part two of that sermon but this sermon, I want us to focus on preparing to serve God in the morning and preparing to serve God throughout the day. Now if you're like me, uh, the first thing you do every morning is you you wake up and the best way I think to prepare for serving God throughout the day is to think about it before you even get out of bed. So I have, a, I have a bad habit of planning when I wake up. There's lots of things to do in my house. So the first thing I do when I wake up, I start, I start planning my day. What do I need to do? How do I need to do this? What do I need to accomplish? And I realize that that's probably not the best thing that I need to do in life. Because what I'm doing is I'm planning the physical things that I need to do. Where do I need to go? What do I need to accomplish? And I'm not saying that we should not focus on those things and th- that those things are not important. But I think if we want to truly bind God's laws on our frontlets, if we want to really write them on our doorstops and things like that, the first thing we need to do is we need to wake up and remind ourselves that it's not our day. It's not my day. I wake up, I have a habit of waking up and saying, What am I going to accomplish with my day? And that's my mentality. And it, I have a funny thing that I start doing now which is kind of funny um i have a funny thing i ask my question i ask myself a question to remind myself of who i am and you might want to do this yourself so suppose you woke up one morning and it was dark like black dark and you look at your clock and you're like wow it's three o'clock the sun's supposed to be well well, you wouldn't be asleep until three but the sun should be out you know or if you woke up really late and there was just, the sun had not risen. Do you think the president would call you specifically and say, hey, the sun's not out. You need to do whatever you need to do to get it raised. And my point is, is that we often think that it's our day. It's not our day. If the sun didn't rise tomorrow, no one's gonna call Eric Strickland and say, hey, you need to make sure this is care of." And that reminds me that this is God's day. And it's his day for me to do what I need to do to accomplish his goal. Our kids think that we are awesome and we can do everything. But when you wake up tomorrow, if you were to wake up tomorrow and there was no sun, your kid's not gonna walk into your, your room and say, hey, dad, mom, make the sun go up. And I remind myself of that every single morning, that the sun rose because God wanted to rise. That I woke up because God wanted me to wake up. And that places me in the mentality of knowing that this is God's day. I don't really quote Genesis chapter 1. But if you turn over to Genesis chapter 1 verses 16 through 18. Genesis 1:16 through 18 says, God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good." And that's what I have to remind myself the first thing. God made the sun. God allowed it to rise, and God allowed me to wake up. God is in control, and I only woke up because God let me wake up. My life is not supposed to be spent trying to do what I want to do, but what God wants me to do. So when I wake up and start making my list of all the things I want to accomplish, my mind is not where it should be. My attitude is not where it should be. I should always wake up with the attitude that God has given me another day to do His will. So if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 it says therefore since christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men but for the will of god we have spent enough time of our life pastime in doing the will of the gentiles when we walked in lewdness lust drunkenness revelries drinking parties and abominable abominable idolatries in regard to these i think it strange that you not run with them each morning I think we should wake up telling ourselves, and our first thought should be, I will not live this day in the flesh for my own desires, but for the will of God. And after we remember that God's in control and the sun rose and we only woke up because he allowed it to, then we can start making our lists. Because our attitude at that point is, I am here because of God. I am not here just to do what I want to do. And so, when we start off our day remembering who God is, I think then we can start doing the things that we normally do. But the problem, specifically for me, with making lists is that I live in a physical world. And too often, my list contains physical things go here, do this, buy that, accomplish this goal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think we would live Deuteronomy chapter six a little bit more fully if we added spiritual things to our list. Um, One of the things that I'm trying to work on is humility. And the reason I'm working on this is because the more I learn about humility, uh, the more I realize I'm in trouble. Uh, Humility is hard. It is extremely hard. And if anybody thinks that they have humility licked, uh, they they need to work on it. If you truly believe that you are a humble person, I think you probably have a problem. So, let's just try something, just for a second. Think about yesterday. Think about all the things that you did yesterday. How many of those things that you did yesterday were right and couldn't possibly be wrong? Or look at all the actions that you took the last week. How many of those things were right And not for a second did you pause and go, hmm, is this exactly what God wants me to do? In the last week or month, how many times did you let other people go before you? Or receive the glory, let them receive the glory that you deserved? How many times did you step back when you really, really, really deserved to be in front? Humility is hard because it is not our knee-jerk reaction to be humble. We want respect on our terms. We want to be thought of as not dumb. And I believe, or as far as I'm concerned, I rarely stop during the day and say, can I be humble in this situation? That's not a regular thought that I have. So ask yourself, do you sit there every day and go, hmm, how can I be more humble in this situation? We don't do that because... Too often, as Americans, we feel we have the right to do something, the right to say something, the right to act. And we don't question whether or not what we said was right because we assume it was right. And I think sometimes when we live in that world, that's when we need to stop because we're truly not being humble. So I've decided there are some areas in my life that I'm going to actively, actively, in the morning, before I wake up, come up with ways to be humble. Because I think you have to prepare to be humble. Because I don't think it's a re- knee-jerk reaction. The first area I want to be more humble is as a parent. And that's hard. Because I was taught that children should be seen and not heard. And I read ber- verses, Bible verses like Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 12, where it says the kids need to be honor their, mon- their mother and their father so they may live long in the land the Lord has given them. And I reach Proverbs 22, 15. It says, Folly is bound up in the heart, but the rod of discipline will drive it away. And in Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 9, it says, Kids, listen to your father and your mother, and do not forsake your mother's teaching, because they are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And then I turn to that great verse in Proverbs 13, verse 24, where it says, Whoever spares the rod hates their child, but who loves their child is careful to discipline them. And I take all these verses and all those other verses and I come to one conclusion. I am the parent. They are the children. They need to listen to me. And I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that your kids should not listen to you and they should not obey you. But I'm going to tell you a bar- an embarrassing story and you might be able to relate to it. I was talking to Stephen about something one day and he had the audacity to say to me, just because you're a parent, you think you're always right and never wrong. Wrong answer. So I looked him in the eye and I said, "Stephen, I am not always right. And he said, yes, you are. And he actually said to me, tell me a time in which you apologized to me. And I was lucky. Because I had a reply off the top of my head. And I looked at him in my stern parental face. And I said, a few months ago, we were talking and I told you I was sorry. Think about that. That's right. My son said, tell me when you've apologized to me because you were wrong. And my answer was a few months ago. We teach our kids constantly to say, I'm sorry. And sometimes it's funny when they don't wanna say, I'm sorry, Steven does this all the time, I'm not really sorry, I'm like, I don't care, say it anyway. We don't, I don't always live that way. You know, I want my kids to feel sorry, to say they're sorry, to say they're wrong. But for some crazy reason, I have this mentality that because I'm a parent, I don't have to. Because I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid of losing my authority. I'm afraid of saying I'm wrong because then I don't have that respect I need. Imagine if you had a boss and your boss was never wrong. No matter what they did, they were always right. They could mess up, but it didn't matter because they were your boss and they were right. We wouldn't want to work with that person, right? I have a coworker, and she drives me crazy. She is constantly asking me for help. And as soon as I give it to her, she says, Yeah, that's what I thought. And it drives me batty because she is always right even when she's wrong she is always right but I'm just like her as a parent because I fear that being wrong undermines my authority Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord my co-worker provokes me the wrath because she is always right imagine how our kids feel when we are never wrong so I'm working on it and my prop kids probably think I should work a little bit harder a little bit faster but I'm working on waking up every morning and finding ways thinking about ways to be humble towards my kids because if I'm humble to them when they have kids they will be humble to their kids and that is bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, the second area I, I, I realized that, that I need to work on is I need to realize that I'm not in control of my own activities. I have a joy. And one of the ways my joy manifests itself is in shopping. Now, I don't like shopping. I hate shopping with a passion. Uh, but I love the logistics of shopping. My kids will tell you this constantly. Here's what they've heard constantly. All right, it is 3.06. I need to get to Walmart, Sam's Club, and get food. 20 minutes there. I'll go into Walmart, shop with passion, just get what I need to do. Uh, Then I'll get to Sam's Club, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Then I will go, I'll get food. We're stopping at two places maximum. And I will be back. It's 3:11. I will be back home by 3:17. And that is my joy, to make it happen, because I love the logistics of just planning something and getting it done and getting back with seconds to spare. And I'm good at it. But if you turn with me to James, James chapter four. Verse 13 through 16, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord lives, we shall live and do this or that. That's my life. I love planning. And then I love looking back and saying, look what I accomplished. And you might not plan in the same vein, but how many times do you look back and you, yeah, I did that. Think about your job. Think about this project that's coming up. And you look at it, and it's a difficult project, and you look at it from the very beginning, and you make your plans, and you write down your documentation, and then you see it to fruition, and you step back after the project's done, and you go, job accomplished, well done. And I'm not saying that we should not be happy when we accomplish things, but taking a former president out of context, we need to realize that we didn't accomplish that on our own. We didn't build that by ourselves. And I'm starting to realize that humility is a three-way street. We need to be humble before an activity occurs. We need to be humble during an activity, and we also need to be humble after the activity is over. Humility with an action or activity after it's over, I can do that. Eric, great job, <laughs> you know, wasn't that, you know. I tried. But it's when an activity is in the middle, when you're focused and you're doing everything perfect, do you stop and go, God allows me to do this? Or is it my talent? And what's worse for me is before an activity begins. Before I start planning that trip to Target and Walmart, I think this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna accomplish. And so I need to work on the fact I need to be humble before an activity begins, during an activity, after an activity, whatever. When I wake up in the morning, I need to start quoting verse 15 of James 4. Verse 15 says, If the Lord wills, I will do this and I will do that. That has to be the first thing I think of before I start planning my day because it is not my strength. It is not my ability. It is only because God allows me to do these things. And Another thing I have to do every morning before I get out of bed in order to stay humble is to remind myself that I need to leave God as God. There was this guy one day And he said he found himself in a situation where he wanted to do something that he knew he shouldn't do. And he said he wrestled for it for a few minutes and thought about it. And he said, God, come down off your throne. And he looked at the throne and he said, you know what? And he sat down on it. And he started ruling his day. And that was, for me, the most visual picture I've ever seen or heard in my life. Because that is what we do. When we don't allow God to be God, we literally say, God, come down off your throne because I want to sit there. And then we sit there and we do what we want to do. And I need to wake up in the morning thinking, I have to let God stay on his throne all day because I can't just sit there when I want to. I don't have Habakkuk 2.20 memorized. But I do have song number 152 memorized. And it says, the Lord is in his holy temple, that all the earth keeps silent before him. That has to be our attitude when we wake up in the morning. It is not my right, my responsibility. It is not even my ability to take God off his throne. And so when I wake up in the morning, I have to tell myself, God has to stay on his throne all day, every day and I don't have the ability to get on his throne or sit there. When I wake up in the morning, my conviction must be from the beginning that I will leave God on his throne all day and I won't try to rule my life on my own. But you got to prepare from that. You got to you got to do that from the moment you wake up. Because if you don't, you'll find that you spent your entire day ruling your own life. And I'm sure if you were and I'm not sure if that even if you were to do everything right, And not sin that if you don't do it with God on the throne if you don't do it with his authority I'm not sure you're still doing what's right I mean imagine if you spent the entire day and didn't sin but not once did you think about God not once did you pray to God not once did you thank God did you not sit on your own throne that day Maybe it might have been like, you know, you use some of God's words in there, but if you're doing and you're living your life, even if you're living your life good and you're not giving God the honor and the glory and acknowledging him, it's your own throne. So I have to remind myself that even if I spend my entire day not sinning, if I don't focus on God, it's just my throne. It's just my beliefs and my thoughts because it is God who deserves the glory. So my point is that we need to leave God on his throne and we need to acknowledge to ourselves that he is there and that he is the rule of our lives and that we need to focus on him. And speaking of that, focusing, I had an epiphany one day. Uh, I was walking somewhere and I was, I was thinking about life. Sometimes we think about life and uh, you know, you think I get mortgage, kids are sick, boss isn't being nice. And yes, you, you find yourself focusing on the, all the things that are going on in life and all the horrible things. And I remember thinking, dude, my life is horrible. This is really bad. And I kept walking. And I would love to say I saw a homeless person and went, oh, my life is so much better than that. But that's not what happened. I started thinking about thinking because that's how my mind works. And I thought about uh, a particular verse in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Life is bad. And life is ugly. And life is horrible. And life is mean. But life is life. Those things are going to happen. Life is not supposed to be perfect. God's not put us on this earth and go, your life will be perfect. And if we focus on the bad things, and if we focus on the negative things, to some extent, that outlook is gonna control our actions. It's gonna control our thoughts. But what if we start every morning, as soon as we wake up, before we get out of bed, saying, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are, are of good report, if there is any virtue in those things, If there is anything praiseworthy in those things, those are the things that I'm going to meditate on today. Too often, I wake up and I totally forget those two verses. The two verses that come right before them. If you read uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with a thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I wake up, and I think Saren is my boss, and PGP, PPG, where I work, is directly in the middle of Mordor. That my life is doom, destruction, pestilence. You wake up and say, I gotta face another day. That's our attitude. Life is horrible. But what if, what if we woke up and we said, I'm only gonna look at the good things in life. It's not saying that the bad things aren't happening and that they're not gonna happen because they're gonna happen. But what if we woke up before we even got out of bed and we had a Disney attitude running through our brains? This is gonna be a good day. I'm going to look at all the things that God has done. I'm going to realize that God allowed me to live. I'm going to look at the trees and go, God put that tree there so I can have oxygen. I'm going to look at everything that God has created and go, that's going to be my focus today. When my boss is a jerk, that's not my focus. Because God is my focus. And when my kids are screaming, that's not my focus. Because God is my focus. And when all the negative things happen to us, if we could just turn back and say, God is my focus, imagine how much better our lives would be. But you've got to start in the morning, man. Because if you get up and start thinking about all the things that you have to worry about, it's too late. Because then you're focusing on all the bad things. But if we could do that before we get up, before we put our feet on the, bed, on the, on the floor, think about all the good things in life all the pure things that God has given us, all the holy things, all the lovely things, our lives will be so much better. Would I, would we, be better people if we woke up and determined that we would only focus on the good things that God has given us in this world? And, it, and that doesn't mean we ignore life, but it does mean that we recognize that this life is not all there is out there, that there is something so much better. And finally, I, and perhaps you, uh, I need to wake up realizing that God is not a strike here in an emergency God, because too often I just feel that I'll do everything that needs to be done. But if things get really, really tough, then I'll start praying. But as long as I'm doing all my normal things in life, it's okay. I can't have that attitude. God is not there just because we're in dire need. God is there all the time. And when we wake up in the morning, when we're planning our day, we need to realize God is there constantly. We need to realize that he is there to help us. He is there to love us. He is there to be with us. He's there to calm to calm us to everything we need. God is there for. And when we wake up in the morning, our attitude has to be, God is there for me. Not just if something bad happens and I get a bad phone call. That's not the time that I only go to God. I go to God constantly. I wake up telling myself, God is there. And when we have that attitude, when we, when we start our day with that morning, with that mentality that God is gonna be there for me, how much better would our day be? Because no matter what happens, you already got that mentality. God is there. When the bad things happen, you're already thinking God is there. And our lives will be so much better. So I go, I go to meetings. And at the end of our meetings, we always have this affirmation. And uh, there's a part that they say that always struck with me the moment they said it. And I want to leave you with that. Because I think it is something that I need to focus on constantly. At the end of our meetings, they say to us, there's a question. They say, are you willing with me now to turn your life and your will over to the care of God, the one who kept us sober yesterday and protects us from the full consequences of our sins in the past? Every single day, we need to wake up with that attitude. Are we willing to turn over our life and our will to the care of God? Because he is the one that kept us alive. He is the one that even though we sinned, did not destroy us. He is the one that has protected us because of his son's love from us for us from the consequences of our sins. Every single day that needs to be our attitude. I'm going to put my life, my thoughts, my beliefs, my actions into the care of God because he is the one who's loved me more than I've loved him. Deuteronomy 6, 1-9 is all about preparing. Every day is a new day and we always need to wake up reminding ourselves of spiritual things so that we don't lose our spiritual why. The world is going to constantly try to throw things at you to get you to lose focus on God. The moment you wake up there's something that's going to say, focus on me, God's not important. Because that's the world we live in. But when we wake up with our attitude When we wake up and we prepare ourselves before we get out of bed to do what's right, it'll make our lives a little bit easier.